Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. For the most part, your children's God is your God until he becomes their God. And when that comes, uh, I believe it, it, it begins at early age as they're raised in, in a Christian home and they see the reality and the truth of God. But I don't believe it really happens in their lives until they're put at an impasse. They're put in a place where only God can do this. Only God. And then really that, that, that point of, man, he's, it, it's not my parents' God, he's my God. Because I've seen him answer, and I've seen him work in my life. Children who are raised in a Christian home generally believe what their parents believe. However, it isn't until they see God work in their own lives that their parents' God becomes their God. Today, Pastor David discusses this. Being raised in a Christian home will begin to shape children's beliefs and introduce them to who God is. But they don't fully enter into a relationship with God until they come to an impasse where only God is the answer. Have you chosen God for yourself? Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message from the book of Genesis chapter 25 entitled, Jacob. This wasn't Isaac's idea. This was Rebecca's idea. And it was not because so much she wanted the, the, the wife from back over there as much as she wanted her little boy to live uh, another day. So get out, be gone, go get a wife from someplace else. So all of this went down. And again, the principles, the things that we see in here is that deceit breeds hatred. Trickery breeds hatred even among brothers. If you, if you know someone who is a liar, how much can you trust them with? Really nothing. Uh, because you know what a liar is, is, is a liar. And uh, there, there's, just, there's just nothing that you can really trust them with. Oh, I, I promise you, I'll, I'll do it right this time. Well, that's what you said the last five times. And then pretty soon it's kind of like, you know what? I don't even want to bother anymore. I don't even care anymore. Because you're always deceiving. And it's always for your own good. And again, that parental favoritism in the midst of all this strife too. One of the things about the, the wives, and I'm kind of jumping ahead and, and back both at the same time. One of the things we know is that Esau took a wife from the surrounding people, these immoral nations, uh, again, not, not of their family, not, not of the people of faith. He took them, again, from, from, these, from the area that he was around. And in, in chapter 26, yeah, I know you've got to flip back one, uh, in verse 34, it says that Esau was 40 years old, and he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And what does it say in verse 35, folks? Grief of mine to mom and dad. 
You're a grief of mine to mom and dad. How do you feel about your daughter-in-law, parents? Uh, how do you feel about your son-in-law? To, can, can kids make such big mistakes that suddenly, wow, parents are grieved by it? Yeah, yeah. But here we see Jacob. Jacob, in, over in chapter 29, and we're skipping ahead a little bit. Jacob, he works seven years to get Rachel. But what happens? The deceiver was deceived. I love that part of the story. It's kind of like, a, hey, turnabout's fair play. But, uh, you know, the, the fact is here, he was a, a, a deceiver. And Laban says, nobody can deceive a deceiver better than a deceiver. And so Laban says, sure, work for seven years for my daughter here. And then on the wedding night, the veil is removed and says, whoa, wait, wait a minute. You, you, uh, you, uh, uh, wrong, wrong one. And so he goes to his father-in-law and says, you cheated. He said, well, that's okay. Work another seven years, and you can have my other daughter. So he has to work 14 years, really, to get the one that he really wanted. And he ends up with two wives in the mix of it. Well, let's, let's move on here. You'll never get finished with Jacob. Uh, chapter 28. Jacob's on his way uh, to uh, Padam Aram, to uh, the house of Bethuel, your, your mother's father. He's, he's on his way, and on his journey, uh, he, he stops for, for, uh, to sleep, and he has this vision. In, in chapter 28, verse 10, what a beautiful declaration, what a, what a great word this is to this trickster, this deceiver, this uh, one who, you know, again, we look at and say, man, there, there's nothing really worthwhile in this guy's life. And yet suddenly, here the Lord is speaking to him. Do these words sound familiar to you at all? Where have we heard similar words being proclaimed? To Abraham and to Isaac. It's the same promise that God gave to Abraham, the same promise he gave to Isaac. Now he's passing it along. Again, this is part of Jacob's inheritance that the Lord is giving to him. God would bring Jacob back to this place, but you know what? It's going to be 20 years later. 20 years later, seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel, six years taking care of the sheep. 20 years later, he comes back here. We know that's why it's 20 years, but let me ask you this question. Why did it take 20 years? You know what? I... I think God could have taken care of getting um, Rachel to Jacob right where he was in the same way that God brought Rebekah to Isaac. Do you believe that God's able to do that? I mean, he just did it for his dad. But because of Jacob's heart not being ready, because I believe the personality, the trickery, the deceit, all of that that had to be worked out in his life, the promise of God that I believe God was, God was more than able and ready to say, hey, let's go, son. And yet because he wasn't ready, because his heart wasn't ready, it took 20 years. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed and asked God for something? And you just know, man, I know he's going to answer it. I know he's going to answer it, but I've been praying for this thing for like five years. I, I, I've been praying for this thing for 10 years. I've been praying 15 years. Maybe it's not God that's hard of hearing. Maybe it's you that's hard of hearing. 
maybe what has to happen is, again, our own heart to be changed in order for God to fulfill what he says he would do within our hearts and lives. Maybe there's something that needs to be changed in us. Maybe there's something we need to either do or stop doing. Maybe there's an attitude we need to gain or uh, an attitude we need to refrain from. Maybe, maybe there's, there's within our lives a, a direction that, man, he's trying through all kinds of ways to, to get us to the course of him being able to answer that prayer, but yet we've been fighting it all along. For Jacob, it took 20 years. Jacob called this place Bethel, the house of God. And it's interesting, from that, he, he makes a vow. He says that uh, in verse 18, he rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. And then in verse 20, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. God, if you will do everything that I ask you to do, and make sure that I'm not hurt in any way, then you can be my God. Does that sound more like a vow or a bargain? I think really, at this point in time, he is bargaining with God. Lord, I'm more than happy to let you be my God. But you need to do all of these things first, and then I'll let you be my God. He goes on to say, this stone which I set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Turn, if you would, to chapter 20, or 35. And I know we're bouncing all over his life, but trying to pull these things together. You, you just went 20 years into the future, okay? In chapter 25, you're now 25, or 20 years into the future. And God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel. That's where he was, the house of God. That's where he first had his own personal encounter with the Lord. One of the things we know, and we, we, we see this throughout the word many times, we, we hear in the Old Testament, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of my father, Jacob. The God of my father. And then all of a sudden it changes, my God. There's a world of difference between saying the God of my father versus my God. And, and, and parents, for the most part, your children's God is your God until he becomes their God. And when that comes, uh, I believe it, it, it begins at early age as they're raised in, in a Christian home and they see the reality and the truth of God. But I don't believe it really happens in their lives until they're put at an impasse. They're put in a place where only God can do this. Only God. And then really that 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 point of, man, he's, it, it's not my parents' God. He's my God because I've seen him answer and I've seen him work in my life. 
So here he is. Go to, go to Bethel. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, uh, put away all those foreign gods that are among you. Now that's a, that's a tough question right there. Number one, what are they doing there anyway? Okay. Put away all those foreign gods. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. They journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities where were all around that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob God gave him safe passage so Jacob came to Luz that is Bethel which is in the land of Canaan and he and all of the people who were with him he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel God's house of God because there God appeared to him when he fled from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried uh, below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again, here in verse 9, when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So instead of deceiver, now your name is going to be called the Prince of God. And so he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come up from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you and your descendants after you. And then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So God set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him, again, Bethel. Twenty years later it took for this to take place, really, in his life. It was only a few days prior to this that really... Jacob had this connection point with God that, again, he came to the Lord. Uh, and that's back in uh, chapter 32. And really, I should have went there first, so bear with me. In chapter 32, this was on his journey. He wasn't quite to Bethel yet. He was still, he was afraid that he was going to meet his brother Esau. He knew that Esau was going to kill him. He had divided up all the company. He had divided up the cattle. There, there, he it placed five different groups of animals that he was going to send to Esau as, as gifts to Esau before he got there. And so through all of this, uh, Jacob, uh, down in verse 24, as he sent his wives out, as he sent the cattle out, verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. It's interesting in this, Jacob was left alone. When we're running from God, the best place that we can be is alone so that we can listen to what God's saying to us. But the problem is, is most people, when they run from God, they try to gather as much stuff going on as they can. They try to stay as busy as they can, as distracted as they can. Because that still, small voice of the Lord is way too loud for them to hear. They don't want to hear that. So they want to have all the distraction that they can. But here, Jacob is alone. 
It says that a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And a lot of speculation. Was that a pre-incarnate Christ? Was it an angel? Uh, how was it? Uh, personally, um, I could go with the pre-incarnate Christ on the thing, but um, that's not a hill I'm going to stand or, or fall on. Verse 25 says, Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, the angel, or the one, the man wrestling, touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, the man wrestling with him, Let me go for day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so the man wrestling with him said, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. There's where his name initially was changed. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Paniel, for he had seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Paniel, the face of God. It's during his journey, really at that point in time, we don't know the depth of Jacob's heart other than we know that great fear had come into his heart. He was coming back and he knew, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Esau was going to destroy him. That Esau was going to do everything that they that he possibly could to to destroy him and in that deal again jacob had great fear earlier in that chapter it says verse one it says jacob went on his way and angels of god met him we don't know what took place with that we don't know the conversation there but i'm wondering if, if at that point in time Jacob was starting again, breaking down out of himself, suddenly realizing that I don't have control of this situation. It's only God that's going to have control of this situation. He's the one I need. He prayed to God for deliverance there in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 32. He prayed that God would deliver him. He sent all of these gifts ahead to Esau in the midst of it, hopefully to kind of calm Esau down. And then he met the man of God. It's interesting in, the, in this whole thing. He was so worried about what was going to happen when he met Esau. You guys have probably heard the statement that uh, probably about 80% of the things that we worry about never happen. And the other 20% usually don't happen nearly as much as we think they're going to happen. People die because of stress. People die because of uh, ulcers in their stomach. People live absolutely horrid lives out of anxiety and, and fear rather than trusting and waiting on the Lord. I think it's a terrible, terrible waste of a Christian's life to be filled with anxiety and fear. And yet I know that many have that. My counsel to them is the same thing that we've been sharing over these last couple of weeks, man. Lay that stuff down and get your eyes on Jesus. Lay that stuff aside. Get your eyes on the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Don't walk around with your own understanding, but trust in him. He'll direct your path. Jacob was so eaten up by these things, so worried about these things, and yet God did something 
that just totally blew him away. We read about it in chapter 33. Jacob and Esau meet. It says, let me start at the first here. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were like 400 men. He divided the children uh, among Leah and Rachel and, and the two maidservants, put the maidservants and their children in front, and Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Now, who's special there? Uh, and then, then he crossed over before them, and he bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Now, the way that this works is from a distance, you bow. And then you walk a distance and you bow. And you walk a distance and you bow. And you walk a distance until as you're coming, you are bowing from a distance. And that's just, again, an oriental custom of just great humility and literally surrender to the, this individual. And what does it say here in verse 4? But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck we would think he would have fell on his neck a different way. But he fell on his neck and kissed him and wept. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. And on and on he goes, down in verse 8. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? In other words, all these gifts that have been coming down the road. What, what's, what's up with that? Esau tells him in verse 9, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Is this what Jacob was expecting? Anything close to it? Do you think that maybe at the same time God was working on Jacob's heart? He was working on Esau's heart? you think that God's more than able to do that, gang? You know, I, I've dealt with individuals before, and we, we talked about unforgiveness and bitterness and those kinds of things. Dealt with individuals before. He says, you know what? Don't worry about them. You worry about you. You're, you're the one that you have control of. You don't have control of that other individual. You worry about you and let God deal with them. And it's amazing how so many times when we get our own heart right and we go with that humility of Jacob, suddenly we realize, wow, God's doing something over there. I, I, I didn't even realize, I didn't even know that he was doing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. And he'll also amaze you in ways that you, you, you can't even begin. I tried that one day, Pastor, and it didn't work out really well. Try it again. Try it again. And try it again. Who knows, but for those first few times, it was just a real test. As to whether you were serious in trusting him. What have you got to lose? What, what, what have you got to lose in trusting God, really, in all of that? Well, he didn't give me forgiveness. Okay. Have you forgiven him? That's where it matters. Yeah, but she did this or said that. So what? Give that to the Lord. Allow the Lord to work in your life in order to free their life. Because if you continue the battle, you know what? You're just stirring it over here. But if you stop stirring it in your own life, perhaps then maybe the Lord can work it over there. Open our hearts, change us 
Pastor David has been introducing us to biblical characters through this series, some who knew Jesus, some who only knew the prophecies, but all who were led by their Creator. They weren't perfect, as we see again and again, but that didn't disqualify them. Mistakes don't disqualify you either. God can and wants to use you today to do something incredible for the kingdom. Are you ready to step out in faith? We'd love to be praying for you as you do. So give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We are so glad you tuned in today to Pastor David's teaching on the open word, and we pray you've been encouraged. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Pastor David's here to tell you how. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you in person, too. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find all the information you need at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.